all of our life, everything, everything that we have. Indeed, Jesus is a king. He is the king. As we go to John chapter 18, and as we'll turn also soon to Matthew chapter 1. Consider the worthiness of this great king who we serve. There's so much turmoil in this fallen world that we live in. It's going from bad to worse in so many ways. In our own country, we see violence and hatred increasing all the more. And then we have the privilege of being here to worship the one true God and having these glimpses of hope, these glimpses of worship and being able to hear and sing these wonderful hymns. And we get to separate the sacred from the profane. The headlines seem to cause us to shake our heads, yet not in shock or disbelief. We do. We all have real problems in this world and in our own lives. And leader after leader makes promise after promise, claiming to be able to solve all of our problems or even our main problem that we may have. Some of these promises that are told to us sound good. But it makes people long for a great, wise king that would save people from their biggest concerns, while at the same time dealing out retribution and and justice, perfect justice, right justice, to those who deserve it. Well, such a king has come. He brings hope, peace, love, And he also brings a sword. This king has come. His name is Jesus. And he came to save people from their sins. And he came to reign as a king. Look at John 18 with me this morning. John 18. Verse 28. We recall in these previous verses that Jesus was standing before this mock trial before the Jewish religious leaders. And this is right off the heels of Peter denying Christ three times, as Jesus said he would. And here we have them sending Jesus over to, from Caiaphas to Pilate, who was the Roman leader, a very cruel and calculating man. And we'll look at more of this, Lord willing, but not today. But let's just look at these verses and we'll, we'll focus in on a couple. 
Then they led Lord, they led Jesus from Caiaphas into the Praetorium, and it was early, and they themselves did not enter into the Praetorium, so that they would not be defiled, but that they may eat of the Passover. Therefore, Pilate went out to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? And of course, this was Jesus that was standing before him and before them. They answered and said to him, If this man were not an evildoer, we would have not have delivered him to you. So Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him according to your law. The Jews said to him, We are not permitted to put anyone to death to fulfill the word of Jesus which he spoke, signifying but what kind of death he was about to die. Therefore Pilate entered again into the praetorium and summoned Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Are you saying this on your own initiative, or did others tell you about me? Pilate answered, I'm not a Jew, am I? Your own nation. And the chief priest delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. Therefore, Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say correctly that I am a king. For this I have been born. And for this I have come into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no guilt in him. But you have a custom that I release someone to you at the Passover. Do you wish then that I release for you the king of the Jews? So they cried out again, saying, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Pilate then took Jesus and had him scourged. O oh God, we look to you once again this morning. God, I look to you for strength. You are worthy. I am not worthy to stand behind this pulpit to handle your word, but this is what you have called me to do, and this is what you have me to do this morning. God, that you would give me unction from on high for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. So Jesus, as we consider this Christmas season, and it's come up real quick. I don't know about anyone else here, but it's Christmas Eve. And it just, well, how did this happen? Uh, and people say that when, maybe it's when you're getting older, you, time goes by quicker. I don't know that yet, but it seems that time has been, is, is coming by. It's just Christmas is here. I don't know if I've even seen any mangers, really. Maybe I haven't been paying attention as much as, as I ought to. But there's, there's no snow. It, it, just, it just came here so quick. The Christmas, here we are. And indeed, it, it reminds us, and it ought to remind us, of Jesus. And it reminds us of why he came. And it should remind us, once again, that he is indeed a king. That he was born a king. And Jesus says, for this reason I have been born. One of the greatest themes of the Bible is that God is king. Now, Psalm 47 and verse 7, for, for God is the king of all of the earth. And I read for us this morning Psalm 24, speaking of Jesus' kingship 
Only he is worthy. He is crowned king. The first song of praise in Scripture declares the Lord shall reign forever and ever. This is his kingship. He shall reign. The psalmist cries out to him in Psalm 5 verse 2, My King and my God. A great crowd of believers shout in Revelation, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. He is king, so he he reigns. We also find in the Old Testament that God appoints human kings to rule in his name, such as David. That's just one example. Yet God has also promised to send a human king to rule in his name specifically. And as Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7, we read this morning, tells us that the divine and the human will be in one person. And indeed it is in Jesus Christ. The type of king we need must be a human king and he must also be divine. And only one has ever met this criteria and ever will meet this criteria and that is indeed Jesus Christ the one sent to us to reign as king, he is also prophet and priest of his people. The promised Messiah in the Old Testament is this one who was born a king. Numerous verses of Scripture help us to understand this. A star shall come forth from Jacob. A scepter shall rise from Israel. Numbers 24 and verse 17 And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, and Prince of Peace. This is the one. I I invite you to turn to Matthew now, chapter 1. We'll be right back to John soon. But this is the one that the wise men came looking for. Now, we don't know how many wise men or magi were there. We know it was more than one. Likely more than three. We say three, we sing three. And when they got to where Jesus was, he was not right there in the manger just being born. This was a a time later as well. So, as I always encourage us at Christmas time, if you do have a nativity scene, take the wise men, put them somewhere else, and have the manger there if you indeed have that. And that way when people come over, they'll ask you why. And there's a springboard for a gospel conversation. They came a little later. Not much later, but a little later. But this one that the wise men were looking for was Jesus. The one prophesied in the Old Testament. The one who would be born of a virgin. Look at Matthew Chapter 1, verse 18, and we'll read through here. Follow along with me if you would. Now the birth of Jesus was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. Just as a side note, so that we understand uh, betrothal. It is a little different than the engagement that we understand today that can be broken off 
Uh, betrothal is more intense. It is as if you are already married, yet you do not consummate the marriage just yet. Verse 20, when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means, which translated means God with us. Indeed, the virgin birth is necessary doctrine to understand and to believe. And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son and he called his name Jesus. Continue on with me if you would. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? See, they were looking for him. Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. Gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what has been written by the prophet, and you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah, for out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called the Magi and determined from them the exact time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. And when you have found him, report it to me, so that I too may, may come and worship him. Of course, Herod did not want to worship him. Herod wanted to kill him. After hearing the king, they went their way. And the star which they had seen in the east went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And here's the scripture to hone in on for a moment. After coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. And what did they do? Did they say, wow, that is a cute child there? Or look at him, how much he's grown in this short period of time? No, they fell to the ground and they worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they presented not to the family, to Jesus, to him, gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Their response was worship. The one who comes into contact with the ever-living God will worship the one true God, will be changed by this God whom we serve. These men wouldn't just stand there as they came to worship Christ. No, they fell down prostrate before him and they worshiped him. Why? Jesus was born, he was born a king, begotten, not created, God in human flesh. Born a king. Secondly, he lived and died a king. Remember, early on in John, you can turn back to there, actually go to John 19, 
and then we'll backtrack likely. Go to John 19. And I'll remind you as you turn there in John 19, verse 14, of a text early on in the Gospel of John and Nathaniel. Remember when Jesus knew Nathaniel was under the tree and he approached Nathaniel and he said something to Nathaniel and Nathaniel said to him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. He recognized him as king. As you consider John here, I'll read to you from Matthew for a moment. As Jesus stood before Pilate as, as a king, as Matthew 27 says, now Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor questioned him, saying, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said to him, it is as you say. He wasn't always revered for being who he is as a king. He was mocked for being a king. As they tortured Jesus, they physically assaulted him. A crown of thorns was placed upon his head. He was even given a purple robe as they mocked him. Beaten beyond recognition of man, they mocked him saying, Hail, King of the Jews. Once they had him in custody, then they did what they wanted to to him. He was presented to the Jews by Pilate as a king. And this was after his torture, but before his crucifixion. Look at 19, verse 14. Again, now it was the day of preparation for the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. And he said to the Jews, behold your king. This is Pilate saying to them. So they cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, we have no king but Caesar. So then he handed him over to be crucified. As he was standing there next to Pilate, he did not appear as a king. He did not look like we would think a king would look like. For Isaiah prophesied on this in chapter 53, that he has no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. Consider what James Boyce says here, and also Charles Spurgeon. Boyce says, The jumping-off point for Christ's definition of his kingdom is with the confession that he is indeed a king. Whether the appearance may be the contrary. He did not look like a king. He was bound and beaten, and he still would be beaten even further. Yet no king seated upon a throne at the pinnacle of world power was more entitled to be called king than Jesus was. This fact is important, for what is true of the king is no less true of his kingdom. Spurgeon says of this, or said of this, to this day, pure Christianity and its outward appearances is an equally unattractive object and wears upon its surface few royal tokens. It is without form or comeliness, and when men see it, there is no beauty that they should desire it. True, there is a nominal Christianity which is accepted and approved of men, but the pure gospel is still despised and rejected. The real Christ of today among men is unknown and unrecognized as much as he was among his own nation 1,800 years ago. 
Christ chanted in cathedrals, Christ personified in lordly prelates, Christ surrounded by such as are in king's houses. He is well enough, but Christ honestly obeyed and followed and worshipped in simplicity without any pomp or form. They will not allow to reign over them. That was Spurgeon. And Spurgeon's calling us right now. Although he is dead, he still speaks. When compared to kings or leaders throughout history that were legendary for their wealth or their power or their appearance, Jesus did not fit that mold, did he? Yet Jesus was a king, and his kingdom, as he says, is not of this world. His title, King of the Jews, was not lifted up above a throne of gold. It was not lifted up above a chariot, but it was lifted up upon a a bloody cross where he died. Yet indeed, Christ is the King. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, as Revelation 19 tells us. And He alone is is worthy to wear that royal robe. He alone is worthy of that title, the King. He was a king before His incarnation. He has been a king since that time He was on earth in human flesh, from the manger onward. And now he he reigns as king and he is seated at the right hand of the Father. He is indeed a victorious, crucified king. As prophet, he has completely revealed God's word to us and continues to give us understanding by illuminating our minds. As our great high priest, he has offered the once for all sacrifices for sin, sacrifice for sins and now intercedes for those for which he died. And as king, he has accomplished victory and now reigns to apply this finished work to his people. Jesus fully accomplished victory on the cross. Calvin said, on the cross as a magnificent Christ, he triumphed over his enemies and ours. Jesus, king before his incarnation, born a king, died a king, rise triumphantly from the grave as a risen king. And his triumph began with his resurrection, which was a mighty act of his kingship. Jesus says in John 10, 17 and 18, I lay down my life so that I may take it up again. No one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. He is the firstborn from the dead, firstborn referring to chronological order, but his his rank and privilege as the king. Revelation chapter 1 verse 5 tells us Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. Any king who stands today or who stood before, any president or any dictator, whatever they may be, Jesus Christ is king of them. And they will answer to him. 
And his resurrection accomplished many things related to his kingship. His resurrection was his glorification for eternal life. His resurrection was triumph over sin and death. As Puritan Thomas Goodwin puts it, the resurrection of Christ was not an ordinary resurrection. It was not an ordinary death. Christ died for our sins. He rose over the power of sin and death, a conquering king. His resurrection inaugurated his supremacy over all things. Indeed, born a king, lived and died a king. In Christ, the fulfillment of Psalm 110 and verse 1 was accomplished. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. As Beaky put it, for King David to call Christ my Lord implies that he is the king of kings, not merely the heir of an earthly throne. However, it is not merely an honor, but the position from which Christ actively reigns to govern his willing people and destroy his enemies. Jesus Christ died and rose again that he might be Lord, Lord both of the dead and of the living. His resurrection proves his conquest over the power and the dominion of evil. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 20 tells us, He raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority, and power and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And when Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world, we have to ask, well, what kind of kingdom is it then? And where is this kingdom from? Well, it is a spiritual kingdom. It is a kingdom, kingdom that is either from heaven or from hell. Since it is not a kingdom of this world. Christ rules over hell. That is what makes hell so absolutely horrible. And we cannot even comprehend that. But Christ is from heaven, and that is where his kingdom is. And some may take this fact and even be relieved that his kingdom is not of this world. With a mindset that his, his kingdom has nothing to do with us. It simply is not true. Christ's kingdom is of heaven, therefore, there is even a greater claim over us and over this world. He is sovereign over all earthly kingdoms. Indeed, again, the ruler of the kings of the earth. For our third point, he reigns now and forever as king. He reigns now and forever as king. Ephesians 1.22, he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church. He is indeed has established his church. He is building his church. Christ as king builds his kingdom, his way, with the means that, that he chooses. Jesus reigns in heaven. He is the high priest over the house of God. He fights as king against the enemies of God. 
He reigns. Now he protects his people from the powers of evil. Nothing can harm us nor overtake us unless he gives permission for that to happen. As king, he conquers the heart of the lost. All of those that the father gives to the son will be rescued from the kingdom of Satan. And when he saves a soul, he he conquers the heart of the one who he saves. If you're a Christian this morning, you're no longer king of your life. He is king of your life. He is king over your heart, your will and your desires and your way to do things. He has dethroned that. Flavel says Christ obtains a throne in the hearts of men as he indeed captures our hearts and he captures our soul and as he rescues us from the kingdom of evil. Indeed, Jesus came into the world to save sinners. He is Savior, yet he is also Lord. In fact, the word Savior only occurs twice in the Acts of the Apostles. Yet the title Lord is mentioned 92 times. Lord Jesus, 13 times. And the Lord Jesus Christ, 6 times. And this is all in the same book, the Acts of the Apostles. Consider the gospel call, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. Since Christ is Lord, there is more than an invitation to come. There is a sovereign demand that you come to him. Jesus demands a total repentance and a total submission to his authority as he is king, appointed king by God. He was born a king. He lived and died, still a king. He reigns now and forever as a king. And fourthly, he will return as king. Revelation chapter 19. So we've gone from the manger briefly, the manger to the return of the king. Revelation chapter 19, verse 11 through 16. This describing the coming of Christ. This is, this is him. And these descriptions are of, of him. Consider these adjectives used here and these titles of Christ. As John says, chapter 19 and verse 11, And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, this purity that he sees, and he who sat on it is called faithful and true. And, is, and in righteousness he judges and wages war. Consider that. Jesus in the manger, a baby. And then the, the, the wise men come to him later to worship him. Just, just a little lad. 
And in Jesus standing before Pilate, beaten and bruised and marred and mocked as, as he is a king and was a king. And as he was on the cross and he died for sinners like us, as he bore the wrath of God the Father, and he offers salvation to all who would receive him, and he commands that all submit to him. And here we see this same Christ as he returns in glory. He is faithful and true, always faithful, always gracious to his people. He always keeps his promises. Verse 12, his eyes are a flame of fire. This purity, this judgment that he comes with, and his head, on his head are many diadems. And notice again in verse 1, he comes in righteousness, he judges and wages war. It is not unclear what Christ will do when he comes to those who do not submit to him now. It is crystal clear. His eyes are a flame of fire. A name written on him only he knows. Why? Because he is so great and glorious. And we who are Christians, we know him, but we do not know all there is of him. Only he knows. 13, he is clothed with a robe dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. And he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. His eyes have this perfect righteousness in them. He wears white of purity. And he has the sharp sword. It is the word of God that he speaks. Christ will return a victorious warrior king. And he will return as a conquering king. And he will raise the dead by the power of his voice. And judgment day will come. As John tells us in chapter 5, Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and will come forth. Those who did the good deeds to a resurrection of life, those who committed the evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. He is coming to a world that has long ago given up any idea of righteous justice. He, a world that has in many ways given up on Christ and just seek to, sought to chuck him out. We've seen this on Christmas years past. And continuing on. That is the world that he will come back to. A world that has mocked him. Even at Christmas time. Trying to ignore him. But he is coming out to deal perfect justice. And he's coming to receive his children. Christians. 
he will subdue all of his enemies, even the last enemy, death itself, under his feet. Indeed, the return of the king and righteousness and judgment to wage war and to come for his people and receive them and to welcome his people, to welcome us back to him. What does all of this have to do with Christmas? Well, what is Christmas? question I heard recently asked, and I said, wow, that's a really good question. What is Christmas? You know, we say, are you ready for Christmas? Did you have a great Christmas? I'm going to count how many people ask me that. How was your Christmas? Did you have a great Christmas? And when you hear that, you can chuckle a little bit in your, your own mind. Fine question to ask. But what is Christmas? Why did Christ come? Well, I, I, I looked and there was about 31 reasons, but I'm going to give you one of them. I'm going to give you one. To save sinners. To save sinners. Think of this gift giving on Christmas. And think of John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Listen to this quote from Piper. He says, Christmas, the Son of God expresses the love of God to save us from the wrath of God so that we can enjoy the presence of God. Again, the Son of God expresses the love of God to save us from the wrath of God so that we can enjoy the presence of God. And our duty as Christians is to proclaim the gospel, the reality of Christ's present reign, and to call people to bow down to the King now to the King of kings and the Lord of lords, Jesus Christ. For every knee will bow to him. Some willingly who bow the knee to him this side of glory, who bow the knee to him today being the day of salvation, or will be forced to bow to him after they continue to reject him and as he will send them to eternal damnation. The most loving gift you can be given this Christmas is the gift of eternal life. Jesus says in John 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. And the most loving thing I can do for you this Christmas is to tell you the truth, to tell you the truth about eternity. And without Christ, you will spend eternity in hell without him. Jesus was born a king. Jesus lived and died as a king. Jesus conquered death as a king. Jesus reigns as king. Always has, always will. Jesus will return as a conquering king. This king willingly left his throne in heaven, left the glory to come down to this earth and to live on this earth, a man, fully God, fully man. And not just for a few months, some 30 plus years, he came to live in the passive obedience and the active obedience of Jesus Christ. He did that for us. And he went to that cross 
and he bore the wrath of God the Father that we could not bear. And he did that for us. Consider that this, this Christmas. I'll read one more verse, and then we will reflect as the pianist will come up for us. Philippians tells us in chapter 2, Although he existed in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee will bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And then every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Indeed, Jesus Christ is the King. Let us pray. O great God in heaven, only Christ is worthy to be sent, to be born, to live as he did, to die the death he died, to rise from the dead, to ascend on high, and to reign as king. He is worthy of our praise, our worship, and you call us to submit our lives to his lordship, to his kingship, and to cheerfully and wonderfully love the fact that he is our savior and he has rescued us. Perhaps, oh God, there are some in here who have not been rescued from the wrath to come, who would still be in the kingdom of Satan. God, we pray in your mercy and your grace that you would pardon them, that you would grab a hold of their hearts, that you would dethrone them off their own hearts, and that you would indeed, as the hymn writer says, invade their souls. that we would reflect upon these great truths this holiday season and be remembering of what you have done for us. And let us reflect on these things now. In Jesus' name.